Heavenly Father, thank you today for calling us to yourself. Thank you for calling us to turn the purpose of our heart, the vision of our life towards you and focus on you and you alone, God, because you, you're holy, you're worthy, you're glorious. And the desire of our being is to praise you and exalt you and glorify you and worship you. And so that's what we continue to do now, God. We thank you for reminding us that, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Father, we just we pray right now that that, that will be the attitude of our heart now as we struggle through the challenges of this life, as we face the reality of the, the pressures of, of living in a world that's filled with everything but you. God, I thank you for giving us this opportunity to be reminded that when we turn our eyes on you, when we keep our vision on you, when we keep our focus on you, that the things of this world grow insignificant. Uh, they grow dim in the light of your glory. And so right now, as we continue to worship you through the word, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit will convict our heart and inspire our lives according to the teaching of your word today. God, may none of us go away from here today the same person who came in. Change our life today to be more like you as we continue to worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, please feel free to take a seat. And if you're a child here and you've registered, uh, feel free to take off to your place of worship. And uh, you have workers that are waiting to enjoy a time of worship with you. And for the rest of us, I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Esther, chapter 8. Book of Esther, chapter 8. And keep your Bible open as we track our way through this portion of God's Word today. Uh, well, we began this year by establishing the fact that, that we all have a life story. Uh, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, you must understand that your story will never always go the way you want it to go. That's just not the way life works. Sometimes you win, they say in baseball. Sometimes you lose. Sometimes you get rained out. <laughs> uh, reversals are a part of every life story, every life existence. And reversals by the way, or a great time for us to look at where God is working and move our lives on board with exactly where God is working. We trust Him through every reversal of life. Uh, I know you're like me, and you've had many reversals in life. Some reversals are more critical than others. I'm here today because of reversals in my life. You're here today. You may not be aware of it. You may not can pinpoint them, but you're here because of reversals that you've had in your life. Give you an example. My sophomore year in high school, uh, I entered our football season that year. Uh, first string kicker. I mean, I was one of those tie the string up on your shoe and kick straight through the ball back in those days. I was the first string kicker going into the season, my 10th grade year. I was also the third string quarterback. 
And that year, I had no aspirations at all of playing uh, much quarterback. Uh, our quarterback was an all-state performer. He was a great football player. At the first, first game of the season that year, just before the half, time was running out on the clock. We were just a few points behind on the scoreboard. And the coach sent me into the game to move our all-star quarterback out to wide receiver on the far left side of the field and for me to throw a pass to him, hopefully to score a touchdown before the half. Well, I called the play, and I took the snap, and I went back to throw the ball, and wouldn't you know, the ball slipped out of my hand. And rather than go down the left side of the field, the ball went straight down the middle of the field. And it just so happened that our receiver on the far right side of the field was running a post pattern through the middle, and he caught the pass for a touchdown. And we won that game by one point that night. That was the first game of the year. When I came in to report for practice uh, that next Sunday afternoon to look at the films, uh, my name was on the depth chart as the first-string quarterback. And for the next three years, I started every game at quarterback. However, that year, we only won one more game. The next year was a great reversal. My junior year, we were undefeated. We won every single game. I saw what the power of great reversals could be. In Acts chapter 9, we have a story, much more significant story, about a great reversal. There was a young, aspiring, aggressive uh, Pharisee named Saul of Tarsus. He was on his way from Jerusalem to Damascus to persecute Christians to bring them back to Jerusalem so they could be killed and persecuted. And on his way to Damascus, he experienced one of the greatest reversals in history. He met Jesus Christ face to face. The resurrected Jesus appeared to him in a shining light. And a great reversal happened in the Apostle Paul's life. Saul became Paul that day when he met Jesus and he was reversed from being a persecutor of Christians to becoming one himself. How I pray today that there's somebody here today who may be running away from God, may be far from God, may not even be aware that God is working in your life. And God will do a great reversal work in your life as you bow before Jesus and give your life to Him today. That's my prayer. Uh, I pray that something powerful, something like that, will happen in our service today. You may not even be thinking about God. But I pray for a great reversal in your life today. Please don't leave here without declaring yourself fully committed to Jesus Christ today. Well, last week in Esther chapter 7, we left Haman being exposed and hanged on a gallows that he had built for Mordecai the Jew. That was, I would say, a great reversal. Haman lived and died looking for popularity, looking for pleasure, looking for power, looking for possessions. And according to the way of the world is the way he died. The way of the world is self-centered, and it's a curse, actually. And we're all born under that curse that drives us to live in the sin that separates us from God. 
In John chapter 10, here's what Jesus said. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And Haman fell for that lie. He fell for the lie of Satan. In fact, we have declared that he was an agent of Satan. But Satan is that thief. He wants to convince you today that life is about popularity and power and possessions and pleasure. These are the most important things in life. But that lie cost Haman his life. And that lie will cost many people today their eternity with God as well. So I encourage you not to fall into that trap. Haman was dead. But the countdown clock on his evil plan to have all Jews killed was still ticking away. And that's where we pick up in Esther chapter 8 today. Esther chapter 8 teaches us that God has reversed the curse of this world. God has opened the door for us to have joy in knowing Him through the blood of Jesus Christ. Is that the picture of your life today? Do you know Him? Well, we're going to tell you how you can come to know Him today. This chapter is about God reversing the direction of of the lives of people. He may need to reverse your life today, whether you're a believer or not. There may be some areas where God needs to reverse your life. And I pray you'll be open to that. This chapter is about believers identifying with the spiritual needs of other people. People that we care more about than we care about our own pride, our own comfort, even our own selves. This chapter is about practical ways to live, bringing glory and praise to God. Every second of your life can be a picture of bringing praise and glory to God when you allow Him to reverse the purpose and the vision of your life toward His purpose and His vision. And then finally, this chapter is about how to be used by God to bring that same reversal into the lives of people that you know, people that you care about. So this great reversal involves four results. So let's just dig in and walk through this text and look at the four results of this great reversal that's pictured here in Esther chapter 8. First of all is the reversal of power. The reversal of power, we see in verse, that in verses 1 and 2. We, we learn in chapter 7 and verse 3, if you'll look back at it, that when Esther finally made her request before the king, she said, grant me my life and spare my people. She and Mordecai identified with their people. They cared about their people. Now, this put them in a position of potential weakness. I mean, there was an edict that claimed the lives of every Jewish person in 127 provinces under the rule of King Ahasuerus. So, identifying with their people put them in a very weak position. But Esther and Mordecai realized that their strength was in their relationship with the king... So Esther and Mordecai needed the king's help. I don't know about you, 
But every day I need help. I need help to glorify God in my life because I'm weak. I'm humbled at the pressure that life puts on to make Jesus Christ the king of all kings, the king of my life. But I know that where my power is weak and where your power is weak, the power of our king can be strong and show itself to be stronger than our weakness. So Esther and Mordecai were willing to sacrifice and identify with their people so that their people could be saved. Now let that sink in as we move through this passage today. They were willing to sacrifice and be weak so that through their weakness the power of God could be exalted and their people could be saved. In Esther chapter 8 and verse 1, the king gave to Esther the power of the kingdom. So, the king reversed the power that Haman thought he had and gave it to Esther. This was a great reversal, a great reversal. Because Esther identified with Mordecai, look at the rest of verse 1. Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. This was an unbelievable shift of power. Because of Esther's influence, Mordecai now had the symbol of being the second most powerful person in the Persian Empire, those 127 provinces. Esther and Mordecai, though, cared more about their people than they did their comfort. They used their reversal of power from Haman to show that they cared for their people. You've probably never heard of, of, of Richard Martinez. Richard Martinez claimed, claims that uh, he was the janitor of the Frito-Le production plant. And every night he would go into work and he would work all night. He was joyful in his job. He would go about his duties cleaning uh, the, 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 the production plant for Frito-Lay. Then he would open a snack sometime in the middle of the night that was prepared by his mother. And he would be energized at the wonderful recipe that his mom had invented and produced to give him energy through the night. When the CEO of the Frito-Lay Company would not listen to Monez in his recommendation to make her recipe a part of the production process of Frito-Lay. Finally, one day, he tricked the COA, CEO into uh, eating a portion of, of that snack. And guess what? Flaming Hot Cheetos was born. And Richard Monez was reversed from being a janitor in the plant to being on the executive board of the PepsiCo company of Frito-Lay. Now, in a more serious tone, when God became flesh to live among us, and by the way, if you come to the new member, if you come to the newcomer lunch today at lunch, we're going to have some of those flaming hot uh, Cheetos, so you might want to stick around for lunch today. But when God became flesh to live among us, his birth delivered to us 
a God who offers us power. He offers us power in at least four ways. If you read John 17, and I would encourage you to go home today and, or sometime this week, just slowly read through John 17 and look at how God's power is available to those who put their trust in, in Jesus. When God became flesh in Jesus, number one, He became one in spirit with us. We literally have the Spirit of God living in us through Jesus. Secondly, He became flesh with us and experienced life from our perspective. So everything that we interact with in life, He completely understands. He's completely with us. Yet, when He walked where you and I walk, He never sinned. And that leads to the third thing. That is, He sacrificed His sinless life and then was raised from the dead in order to reverse the power of evil over your life and my life. In other words, He opened the door for you and I to live in His power. And then fourthly, Jesus left His body here in the world to continue to experience the power and presence of God so that the curse could be reversed in our life with fellow members supporting each other. It's called the church. The church is the living body of Christ that God left here to reverse the curse of sin and give us structure and encouragement as we work through the struggles of life together. By committing to walk with Jesus in a healthy Bible-believing church, we identify with the weakness that we have in order to highlight God's power working in us to give us strength directly from himself, himself, but also through one another. That's the power of the church. You no longer have to follow your self-centered pattern of this world and fall to every temptation of the world because you have the power of Jesus living in us and among us and through us. See, the world will tempt you to fall for entitlement to luxury in this world. The world will tempt you to substitute pornography and every other kind of sexual sin for true relationship. The world will tempt you to claim your right to anger and resentment to those who hurt you and harm you. But God's power gives us victory over all of those struggles that the world throws at us. The world will tempt you to indulge in every kind of evil in order to bring happiness into your life. But those things will only destroy you, destroy your mind, and destroy your life. The curse of this world, though, can be reversed by the power of Jesus. Most people fall for the curse of caring only for themselves. That's what Haman did, and it cost him his life. But that curse can be reversed by the power of Jesus for you and me today. So Esther and Mordecai cared more for their people and used the reverse of power from Haman to show that they cared. Jesus reverses the power of sin and darkness over you. You can experience the power of God over the temptations of this world. Because God gives power to people who humbly, 
honor him. That's what Esther and Mordecai did. They humbly honored God. And when we admit that we're weak, when we admit that we can't stand against the temptation of this world on our own, we become strong when we let Jesus win the victory through our lives. So not only does the great reversal involve a reversal of power, but secondly, the great reversal also involves the reversal of position. Position. We see that in verses 3 through 6. Esther was obedient and faithful. She was willing to take the concerns and challenges of her people as her own, and she was willing to take them before the king who could do something about them. So look at verse 4. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king. Now this was significant because the law of the Medes and the Persians stated that the edict of a king could not be reversed, couldn't be revoked. But Esther was in great standing with the king. But all of her people were still on death row, as I said earlier. They were waiting for execution day. So she was humble in her request. She boldly stood before the king. And here's what she said. Look at verse 5. If it pleased the king, and if I found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes. See, her appeal was on the basis of her relationship. The king had no respect or no disrespect for, for Jews. He had been tricked into approving of the edict manipulated by Haman. But the king couldn't help but recognize that Esther and Mordecai were respectable people. They won his head and they won his heart because they were respectable. Now, please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Your attitude and your actions around people are critical. Make sure that your ongoing life story is an asset to the witness of the love of God because this world has, is filled with people who are not even aware that they need God. And if they are aware that they need God, they don't want any part to do with Christians because of the witness that so many Christians have. That's a shame. That is so sad. I heard someone say long ago that the biggest indictment on Christianity is the way so-called Christians live. Your position is an incredible asset when it is not abused. Your position is an incredible asset when it demonstrates with beauty the true love of God. Haman had abused his position and he paid the price. Adolf Hitler abused his position and he paid the price. Who knows when a door is going to open for you to represent the love of God, the power of God, the life-changing power of God through Jesus to someone who is far from God to make a difference in 
their position with God. Your attitude and your actions should be able to keep doors open for people to respond to the gospel for such a time as this. That's why God has us here on this earth. So when Esther said, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the king had no reason at all to refuse her request. He had every reason to accept her request. Esther knew that this powerful king was not good at making decisions. I mean, she was queen because his advisors had advised that Vashti be kicked out of his house and Queen Esther be allowed to be the queen in his house. It was at the advice of one of his servants that Haman was hanged on the gallows that he had built for Mordecai. This king was not good at making decisions, and Esther knew that. And so look at her wise choice of words as she used her position before the king in verse 5. She said, let an order be written to revoke the letters. Now notice she doesn't say the edict. She uses the word letters or dispatches, not the word edict. Let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha. In other words, again, she didn't say an edict of the king. She said this was, this was devised by evil Haman, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are all in the provinces of the king. She used God's wisdom, gained through her time of fasting, to make her presentation before the king. Remember, she was operating in supernatural power. And you and I can operate in supernatural power if we take the opportunity to fast and pray before God and ask God for wisdom in any decision that we have to make. Esther cared for her people more than she cared for her comfort. And she used the reversal to her position wisely. Another thing that Esther did, Esther had everything that a woman could want in 500 B.C. She was queen. She had all the resources that she needed, all the money that she needed. She had everything that a woman could have wanted. So she used her position to reverse the order of having her people killed, having all Jews killed. Now, I'm so glad today to be part of a church like Palmetto Shores that wants to be like Esther. I'm so thrilled to be part of family members in our church who are more concerned with the needs of others and the gospel going out to others than we are our own comfort, meeting our own needs. You enjoy that position that you have living securely in Jesus, yet at the same time, you're doing everything possible to beg for souls of so many who are lost and dying without Jesus. I'm so thrilled to see evidence of that alive in this church. And I want us to grow in that virtue, to grow and be more like Esther. Like Esther, we must continue to be on our faces before God, begging God to save people who need Jesus, starting with our family members. 
and then people in our neighborhood, in our community, in our state, in our country, and even to the ends of the earth. Heard somebody say one time that a believer is tallest when we're on our knees. And that's true. So I want to encourage you to, to, to create space in your life as I create space in my life to spend time on our knees begging God for souls of people who are lost. Begging God for people whose lives need to be changed and transformed and having that death stamp over their life to an eternity that's separated from God reversed and see them come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Every believer must take the position of Esther. Look at what she says. How can I bear, in verse 6, to see the calamity that is coming to my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my kingdom? How can I bear to not be concerned about the souls of people I know, and even people I don't know who need to know Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 to 38. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I don't know when there's been another time in history when there have been, they've been more people who are harassed and helpless like sheep who need a shepherd. Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Is that the prayer of your heart? First of all, are you saying like Isaiah, God, here am I, send me. God, here am I, use me. And then are you therefore praying earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest? Are you praying for missionaries and everyday ordinary business people who go into the workplace every day with the opportunity to live the message of Jesus and share the message of Jesus to people who desperate? How can we bear to not be concerned about people who are separated from God. We have the position of having our sin curse reversed. But there's more to life than just having our sin curse reversed. We have the privilege to care about our people, pray for our people, share Jesus with our people. So Esther used her position to plead for her people. All the Jews were condemned. And Esther begged the king for her people. People everywhere today are condemned without Jesus. And you have three options. You have three options as to what you can do with that fact. Number one, you can be apathetic about it. You can be complacent about it. You can be more concerned about yourself and you can be apathetic. You say, I have enough problems of my own to be concerned about praying for somebody else. That's apathy. That's the epitome of apathy. You can ignore 
your privilege, your position. Second thing is you can abuse your position. That's what Haman did. He took the power for his self-serving interest. And again, it cost him his life. So you can ignore it, be apathetic about it. You can abuse it. Or thirdly, and this is what I want us to pray about considering today primarily. You can be like Esther and use your position to plead before God on behalf of other people. I don't know of a greater privilege that a believer can have than praying for other people. Praying on behalf of other people that we know and that we care about, that we love, or even lost people that we don't even know. Thank you, church. Thank you for being like Esther and pleading before the King of Kings for lost people. Way to go. Let's keep it up. Let's do a better job. But there's a third result to the great reversal, and that is the great reversal involves the reversal of punishment. The reversal of punishment. We see that in verse 7. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman. Now that's the reversal of power. That's the reversal of position. Now comes the reversal of privilege, of punishment. The reversal of punishment. You may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. There was one way to revoke an edict in 500 years before Christ. An edict can only be reversed by creating a superseding edict. And according to history, that was a very rare thing. We have very few examples of that ever happening. Only one thing reversed the punishment called for in this edict, and that was the providence of God. We've talked about that before. God delights in justice, and Haman was justly executed. But God also delights in mercy. In Daniel chapter 6, the Bible records another time when Persian king Darius was tricked into writing an edict that led Daniel to be thrown to the lions. Some of you may remember that. For Daniel, God sent an angel to shut the lion's mouths and deliver him from being eaten by those lions. But guess what? The next morning, when no harm had come to Daniel, justice was served when Darius had Daniel's opponents who had concocted this law, this edict, had them thrown into those very same lions and their lives were taken. Their punishment was just. Haman's punishment was just. So Mordecai wrote this edict, empowered by the king, and sealed it with the king's signet ring to reverse the law, the edict to kill all Jews. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time imagining being on death row for just being whatever ethnic group I'm a part of. I mean, I just have a hard time rationalizing that in my mind, picturing that in my mind. 
But just for a moment, imagine that you are on death row for no other reason than for being the nationality that you are, for being the ethnic group that you are. But then imagine having that, ver that curse reversed. Imagine having someone walk in and say, you're no longer under the curse. In fact, the curse has been reversed. Now you can defend yourself against the people that are supposed to be taking your life. That's what Haman's law did. Haman's law empowered Jews to kill anyone who tried to kill them. Now, we'll talk a lot about that next week, so hold that thought for next week. But for the day, remember that the, the punishment was reversed. The, the curse was reversed. And that's what makes today so special. Right here in 2021, that's what makes today so special. See, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, there's none righteous. No, not one. You are not righteous. I'm not righteous. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's you. That's me. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. You know what death means? It means separation from people, those you love. And spiritually, it means separation from God. And that's what my sin causes me to deserve. That's what your sin causes you to deserve. But thank God, the Bible also says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the reversal of punishment. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the great news is that Jesus actually died to reverse the curse that you and I deserve for our sin. You can choose. You can choose between standing before God one day, as we talked about last week with Judgment Day. You can choose to stand before God one day in your righteousness. And guess what? You're going to hear, depart from me, for I never knew you. I never knew you. But there's another choice. Thank God there's another choice. When you confess with your mouth, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What does that mean? That means that there has been a great reversal of punishment. The punishment that I deserve, the punishment that you deserve for your sin has been laid on Jesus. He fully absorbed every ounce of the punishment. The wrath of God poured out on him so that you could stand before God in his perfect righteousness. When you stand before God one day, if you've prayed and asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and if you've confessed and repented of your sin 
and surrendered your life to an ongoing life of growing and growing and growing and being more like Jesus, if you've made that commitment of your life and he's exchanged his righteousness for your sin and your sin for his righteousness, God's going to look at you and he's going to see Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. So the punishment that you deserve has been exchanged. Jesus has taken your punishment and he's given you his righteousness, his perfect righteousness. So you and I can stand sinless before God. Friends, that's the greatest reversal of punishment the world has ever known or will ever know. And I pray that you will not pass today by without experiencing that great reversal if you have not already experienced it. Well, then continuing in verses 9 through 14 of chapter 8, Mordecai's message went out to all the provinces in 127 provinces, the Bible says. And the message was delivered, listen to this, by the Persian Pony Express. <laughs> there was an urgency to it. Verse 14 says the message went out mounted on swift horses who rode hurriedly to share the good news, to share the message, to share the changed edict. See, God has a better way today, though, of delivering His message to the world than the Persian Pony Express. Disciples of Christ today are His couriers. The messengers for getting the message out is urgent, more urgent today than it's ever been. And the blessing of knowing Jesus, the blessing of following God through Jesus, is to be given the privilege of sharing the message that can change the lives of people in the world today. In the book of Revelation, the Bible tells us that the message will be heard from every language, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people group. And disciples of Jesus Christ are rising up for all peoples to hear the good news today that Jesus saves. And you can be a part of that enterprise. You should be, if you're a believer, a part of that enterprise. First of all, by praying for those, as we've already talked about, who need salvation, who need to know Jesus. But then by being that courier, being that message bearer, who shares the urgent message that Jesus saves. Matthew chapter 4, 19, Jesus looked at some men and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Have you heard Jesus call you? Have you heard Jesus call you to be a message carrier, a courier? to urgently and swiftly get the message out. See, the power and position God gives us is greater than any king's, earthly king's edict on this earth. God's plan for saving the lost world from eternal punishment calls for couriers like you and me who have experienced the great reversal to be diligent about getting his message out to those who need Jesus. I recently have been in two meetings, one with 
four pastors from a foreign country by way of Zoom, and one this past week right here in our own city of Myrtle Beach, where leaders are begging for people to come alongside students and come alongside pastors and come alongside Christians from around the world and teach them how to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus. It's an urgent need in our world today. Couriers are needed in our world today. You don't know when you're going to die. You don't know when your time's going to come on this earth. We had a person who attended our church for a number of years, refused the gospel. He moved to Ohio. And thanks be to God, someone continued to share the gospel with him, and he prayed to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. And today, this past week, he died, and today he's in heaven. Because someone cared enough about him to share Jesus with him. You don't know when anyone's going to die. And that's why the message of the courier of the gospel is so urgent today. Like the Persian Pony Express. We need to get the message of King Jesus out with urgency to a world that desperately needs it. So on the same day that the Jews were to be killed, Adar 13, the punishment was reversed. Haman's punishment that was supposed to go toward the Jews was reversed and turned toward the enemies of the Jews. Two decades ago, just two decades ago, we're privileged to fly to Chicago and experience a pre-release version of Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. If you want to see the detail of what Jesus went through to bear the burden of your sin, I encourage you between now and maybe Easter, look at that film. I mean, it's available today. You can look at it. And you'll see just a taste of what Jesus went through to show and demonstrate his love for you in such a, a powerful way, to sacrifice his life for you. After we watched that film, for a couple of hours afterwards, we couldn't even say a word to each other. It was that intense, impactful. So today, thank God for Jesus that he reversed the punishment for you and I and all people who will trust him as we bow before him and humbly receive his costly gift of salvation. Well, finally today, there's a fourth result to the great reversal. And that is the great reversal involves the reversal of praise. In verses 15 to 17, Mordecai, remember, had entered the king's presence <clears throat> grieving on his face, mourning in sackcloth. Now look at verse 15. He went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and the robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. When Haman's degree went out, the city was thrown into confusion, we saw in chapter 3 of Esther in verse 15. Look at the reversal. Now when Mordecai's decree went out, the city rejoiced. When you know Jesus, every day should be a day of rejoicing. 
Every day should be a day of giving praise to God because of our Savior. That should be true about every believer. In chapter 4 and verse 3 of Esther, Haman's decree led, look at it, to mourning and fasting and weeping and lamenting. Now look at the reversal. Mordecai's decree led to light and gladness and joy and honor in verse 16. Do you see the contrast? Do you see the difference? Jesus bore your grief so you can enjoy abundant life today. In John 10.10, Jesus said, uh, The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants us to live a life of rejoicing when we know him and we be set free from the burden of our sin. Is there anything in your life today that's keeping you from living burden-free? Is there anything in your life today that is keeping you from living with gladness and joy and honor? Jesus bore your grief so you can be joyful and enjoy the abundant life. I want to challenge you to give every part of your life to Jesus and join the praise team. Join him in join us in giving praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. He will set you free to live a life of praise. Haman's degree led Jews to putting on sackcloth and ashes in chapter 4 and verse 11, or chapter 4 and verse 1. But look at the reversal. Mordecai's degree placed him in royal robes with a golden crown in verse 15 of chapter 8. Imagine one day standing before God in your royal robes. You know what that's going to be? It's going to be a white robe washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Imagine standing in glory before him and giving honor and glory to him because he's paid the price to give you that royal robe. That's the great reversal. Jesus hung on a cross so you can stand before God spotless and clean and rejoice forevermore with him. What a day, what a day, what a day of rejoicing that will be. So the spirit of praise leads us to daily lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. We have nothing to boast about in this life. Daily we can experience the power and the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ and lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus with rejoicing. Remember Mordecai couldn't even go into the prayer. He sat outside the gate of the king originally. Look at the reversal in 815. Now he comes out of the presence of the king dressed like a king. Dressed like a king. So what am I saying? Well, like Esther and Mordecai, when we experience a victory in this life, let's celebrate it. Let's celebrate the, the victory that we have in Jesus and make it a time of praising God. Because reversals are a part of every life story. And every reversal opens up the opportunity for us to get on board with where God is directing us. Where God is leading us. And today he's leading some of you to trust Jesus. Are you prepared to stand before God? 
Are you prepared by experiencing that great reversal of letting Jesus take the burden of your sin on himself and giving you in exchange his righteousness? See, some reversals are more important than others. Please don't walk away from this one today. So how does God's reversal change everything? Well, Jesus invites us into his great reversal. And I want to mention three things specifically about the invitation that Jesus is giving to invite you into. Number one, he invites you to come to him. We've talked about that. He invites you to trust him, to believe in him, to give your life to him, to accept his gift of salvation. If you haven't done that, do that right now. Admit that you're a sinner. Tell God how sorry you are for your sin. And then be willing to repent and turn away from your sin and say, God, I want the rest of my life to be an honor and a glory to you. I want to be more and more and more like Jesus every day. That's the first thing that changes everything. The second thing is, is following Jesus in believers' baptism. Baptism is a picture of what it means to give your life to Jesus. It's the clearest picture of humbling yourself and identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You go down in the water as a picture of humility. You come up with His power. You go down in the water as a picture of your weakness and you're raised in His strength. You go down as a picture of punishment and death and you come up raised to walk in newness of life with Jesus. You go down in shame and you come up wearing a robe and a crown and giving praise to the name of Jesus, not just for this life, but for eternity. It's a picture. And then finally, there's another symbol. Jesus commands us to celebrate the great reversal through sharing the Lord's Supper. We call it communion. I want to invite you to reach over and grab the communion elements that are near you and go ahead and take the bread out and open up the cup Jesus said as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup remember now look at the bread and look at the cup Remember how much you are loved. You are loved so much that God was willing to leave heaven and become that man that we described earlier today. Become flesh. That's what the bread represents. The bread represents that he became one with us. Remember how much you are forgiven. If you look at the cup, it reminds us of the blood of Jesus. He loved you so much that he shed his blood to forgive you of your sin, to pay the price for the penalty of your sin. Look at the bread and the cup. Remember how much you are empowered. He lives now in you if you are a believer, if you've trusted him. 
Remember how much you are positioned in Christ. Your life is now in Christ, and Christ's life is now in you for now and eternity. And remember how free you are to praise Him and bless Him. And then ultimately, remember, Jesus said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, remember me until I come. One day, Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to dress you in that royal robe of white that's been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And you're going to celebrate his life and life with him forever and ever and ever. So today... We come to remember and celebrate the greatest reversal that has ever occurred in history. And Father, I pray that in just a moment, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, that we will do exactly what you've asked us to do. Number one, give our life to you, surrender our life to you. What greater purpose in life could we serve than you, our Creator God, who sacrificed your life to pay for our sin? God, as we prepare to eat this bread and drink this cup, we confess our sin before you and thank you that you are faithful and just and forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we eat this bread and drink this cup, we remember that you've set us free from the bondage of the temptations that life throws at us. You've given us your power to overcome those temptations. And so now, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to bring our lives into union with you, into unity with you. And may this communion experience express the desire of our heart to want to spend our life be more and more and more in love with you, more and more and more like you. In Jesus' name now, we follow your command to eat this bread and drink this cup until you come again. In Jesus' name, amen. So how does God's reversal change everything? Well, remember, salvation is not just a ticket out of hell. It's grafting the source of your life into the life and vine of Jesus. It's humbly, daily, dying to self and being raised to walk in the power of Jesus.